Welcome back to Recruiter Insights. This is a podcast made by recruiters to give you some insight. Today, we are having John to share his career pivot journey from a pastor in a church to a HR consultant in the corporate. We talk about why he wants to switch from church to corporate, things he wished to know more about when he wanted to make a switch, the overall journey and advices to career pivots when they are still considering to make the switch. I believe there's so many advices and so much insight that you could gain in this episode. Let's wait no more and dive in. Uh, John, can you tell us about what's your experiences and where you are, what you're doing now? Okay, sure. Um, my name is John. I was a pastor for 10 years and right now I am a, a management and HR consultant as well as doing a little bit of a corporate training. Uh, what I used to do as a pastor um, or what a pastor does, it really depends on the type of organization or the size of the church that the pastor is in. But typically a pastor is involved in um, event management, involved in uh, counseling, presentations, um, probably a little bit of strategy also because you need to grow your organization. Uh, you And there's a whole lot to it, you know, budgeting and all these kind of different things. Uh, so traditionally, people think when, like when a pastor would be working in like a, you know, stained uh, glass windows or wooden pews type of uh, facility, you know, so that all they do is just like pray and, you know, speak from the Bible. Um, yes, there are pastors still like that, although those are very, very far few in between in this modern day age. Uh, most pastors nowadays, they they have to run the church like an organization, like a company. So the organization that I was from was a fairly large organization. Uh, it was fairly complex. So the amount of responsibilities I had was um, quite a fair bit. I used to run the uh, youth department, which had a regular gathering for about like uh, three to 400 uh, students. So I was in charge of like raising wow. volunteer leaders. I was responsible for creating a curriculum for the program, making sure that um, every week in week out all the programs ran smoothly, running events. Uh, I was also in charge of the main production. Uh, so they call it a worship service. So all the music, all the media stuff, I was in charge of that. Um, but in the back end of stuff, I was also um, doing a little bit of HR for a while because we... Uh, it's not really pure HR, but a little bit of HR looking into the staff culture because we had about like 70 staff. So I was looking at a little bit of staff culture, looking a little bit of uh, how the appraisal was done. And I did a bit of, I was in the senior leadership team as well. So what we used to do every year was we would come up with a strategy and a direction for the following year. And then we would carve out plans, budgets, programs, uh, initiatives, to kind of like support that to or to move the organization towards a direction, create strategies to head towards a direction, and um, yeah. So yes, actually, please employ ex pastors. They they really do almost <laughs> everything under the sun. Uh, yeah, wash toilet also have. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey John, what do you study? actually like before you went into church, right? Like yeah, what did you study? I I am a I'm a very two feet two feet in the water kind of person. So actually, I studied Bible College. So I have a Bachelor of Arts, um, but it's in theology. 
So yeah. So you have decided that you wanted to be in this field since the very beginning, like, you know, when you first, after you graduated, you decided that you want to go into theology and you wanted to become a pastor. Yeah, my journey is a little bit unique. So I, um, I, I went overseas. I first started on an engineering degree. But after about one year, uh, I quickly decided that, um, you know, this is not quite what I want. Um, then I, so I was very involved in like church um, in when I was, where I was studying. And this was kind of like, I imagined myself doing this. So I thought to myself, you know what, if I already know this is what I want, so I want to, um, you know, do this instead. Which, um, so kind of like a side note here, which, I kind of feel like that really should be the way life is. You know, a lot of times we make young people choose a, a degree and a major at like, what, 16, 17, 18 years old, but they really don't know what they don't know. And that's not wrong. Um, but I find that if you work for a good number of years, maybe five, six, or up to 10 years, later on, then you will realize that, you know what, this is the direction that I want to take. This is what I'm really interested in. Like Are if you, you were to talk to me like 10 years ago, um, I would not be interested in taking an MBA. But right now, this is one of my interests. Like last time, you know, I'll look at accounting, finance, econ, and go, yuck, yuck. Like, I don't want to go anywhere near this. <laughs> but now it's like, I'm like hey man, I, I really would love to know more about this. But I can only get to this point because of my experience. So yeah. So in your theology studies, what kind of modules that combine into this degree? And like you also said like, uh, pastor jobs might include counseling, events management, Bible studies. Does it all include in your bachelor degree? So the interesting thing about theological degrees, right? There are various types. Um, but you you can understand it more like a like a social science or philosophy kind of study. So there is there are some uh, institutions or organizations or or schools or whatever they offer a more academic route. So it's very academic, very heavy on studying uh, different books of the Bible or even concepts of, of like, you know, the universe, God, different religions. So some of it is very academic. Some of it is purely practical. So they straight away prepare you. So that one is not really called a theological degree. It's more like a ministry degree or ministry school. So it's very practical. They teach you um, leadership, all this like very hands-on kind of stuff. More like and a social a, work kind of degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and there's the kind of like in-between where there is like the academic portion, but then there are some practical uh, elements to it. So the kind of, the school that I went to was that in-between. It was both the academic side of things, but also it had some of the practical side of things. Um, but really, I guess with like non-profit or social work or even like church work, a lot of it comes from hands-on experiences uh, your degree can only take you so so far unless you want to actually become like an academic like which is which is a thing you can actually go on to study theology do masters do phd and then become like a professor in theology or professor in bible school um so yeah so you wanted to go the more practical route then yeah yeah i i actually considered doing the going the academic route at one point um but i was quickly discouraged because i saw so I, I worked in my Bible college for a while, uh, for about a year. Uh, my supervisor had a PhD from the University of Durham. So I, I really looked up to him. But when he showed me his thesis, his PhD thesis, the references alone was 30 pages long. 
Oh my. Well, and I looked at that and I was like, nah, sorry. <laughs> and, like, and, like you prefer to have the hands-on experience. Yes, yes. Academic. And another experience that kind of like shaped my decision was um, there was this visiting lecturer that I really looked up to. He was from the States. I studied in Australia. Um, I did my degree in Australia. He's from the States. I was really looking forward to actually meet him and, and, and talk to him. But when he came in and when I saw him in person, I was like, man, this is exactly the kind of person that I don't want to be. I don't want to be. I thought you wanted to say I wanted to be like him. Oh, no, so I realized like, no, I'm not an academic. You know, I'm not like a, I don't want to sound like smart and clever and, you know, be able to write really well, but just have you no know, very little people, um, people skills or not very like, uh, you know, friendly with people, which not, I don't say academics are like that, but um, there can be a tendency, you know, where everything you know is very theoretical. So you're, you're kind of like just sitting on, in your academic high tower or high horse and you're just very removed from reality. So um, no, yeah, I, I, I don't think I can be academic and honestly, actually, I really hate studying. <laughs> so the fact that I want to do an MBA, it's really like something, okay, you know, because I really hate studying. So yeah. So John, looking back, because you mentioned that you spent 10 years working in a church in non- NGOs, I would say, uh, looking back at the 10 years of the time spent in that church, right? What do you think was the most fulfilling thing for you in these 10 years of your career in church? The most fulfilling thing? Well, it's a bit cliche, but I think I, would, I definitely wouldn't be the person that I am today if not for my experience. So I, I, was, I was given a lot of uh, opportunities to do a lot of different things. Um, run certain type of events, um, be on certain type of platforms, and even face certain type of challenges. Uh, I mean, the amount of responsibility I had was actually quite immense, and I was very grateful that I was trusted with that, with those. So I learned a lot of those things. So I think um, that was one of the things that that was very valuable. And uh, of course, I think along the way is the relationships as well, because uh, it's a very people oriented job. Um, I used to be a very high extrovert. But I thought in the job, I like I don't know, like my introversion actually increased, you know, because it's like you're facing, you know, when I was younger, right? Like if I didn't have any plans on Friday or Saturday, I'd be like, oh man, loser, what's wrong with you? But when I was working in church, when I had Saturday or Friday nights off, I was like, yeah, I got to stay home, you know. Um, I actually <laughs> cannot remember the last time I stayed home on a Friday or Saturday night. Yeah, and so, you don't get off on Sundays, right? Sundays like your no, yeah, we we pretty much work uh six seven days a week. We get like Mondays off. Uh, that my my church at least that, that I worked in, but um, it really varies on 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 different churches. Yeah. So you had different portfolios in your church. You have your youth. You have three to four hundred of them. Then you have your events organization, and then you also have a little bit of HR and working with all these seventy people in church. Which category of these people were the most like challenging one for you? Students, events, or corporate, not corporate, your office people, your colleagues? I think they all have their own set of challenges, but personally, because um, I also had, I also managed some older people, uh, like those uncle aunties type. I mean, just through like, uncle auntie. do a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A yeah, lot of so, like people management and also from the youngest yeah. to the oldest. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, in, in I realize this in, in corporate, right? You uh, or in commercial sector, when you do well, you get rewarded with more money. 
uh, unfortunately in work in church world when you do well you get rewarded with more work <laughs> this, this happens, you know, it's, it's like, 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 like yeah, well, yeah, you know, she's like, like a Chinaman company or like that. Yeah, actually, it's true. It's, it's like a Chinaman company. You know, it's like hey, this guy very good. Let's give him more. You know, let's give him more stuff to do. But the pay, like you don't see increasing. When, um, and the worst part is, you know, in church they would throw it around. So hey, you're doing it for God. You know, hey, wow. you must sacrifice. Wow. You know, which uh, you know was talk that I was really. Uh, it's it's like I'm still kind of like undo a little bit of that in my own psyche, um, but. Yeah, going back to your question, Wendy, like uh, they all had their own different challenges, but I think I personally found uh, older some of the older people a little bit more challenging. Because um, I'm very, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm a very impatient kind of guy, you know. So sometimes old people, you know, they bring up like the same issue over and over again. They are, you know, beating around the bush. I'm uh, just kind of like that. And you're a pastor, you can't tell the person to shut up. You know, you just kind of like take it in and go like, oh, okay, okay. You, you have know, to so. be the good guy. Yeah. yeah. You cannot yeah. lose your patience as pastor. Yeah. Yep. So, yep. Yeah. So actually then, when was the turning point for you or when did you realize like, okay, enough. I, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. Um, It was kind of like a gradual thing. Uh, Not so much. It, it wasn't just like one day I woke up and, you know, something just snapped in me and I went, oh, you know what, I'm done. Uh, it was more of a, uh, a continuous process uh, where I was thinking through stuff. I was, um, you know, going through my own internal, for lack of a better word, conflict, you know, thinking and everything like that. Um, so I, I would say it actually started even before COVID where I was really thinking about, you know, the next, because at that point I was already about eight or nine years. And there was already kind of like a certain path set for me where you're going to end up in this role, you know, a senior role, a key role, which is something that... Career progression within church. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it was a big organization. So, um, and it was going through a, a stage where the leadership was already getting older. So succession planning was kind of like on the cards. Um, there was a lot of talk of succession planning, but there wasn't any process to it. Kind of like a lot of what companies... I'll do like, you know, talk about it, but there wasn't actual steps to it. So in some sense, I think my my so-called future or path was already set. Like, okay, you're going to end up here or here. That's it. I could already see where I was going. But I felt, I, I actually, there are a lot of reasons, but I think for, for the sake, for this podcast, I think one reason that, uh, the, I'll pick the most relevant reason for this podcast, and that is I just did not feel like I was growing anymore. I was tested and stretched, but not in the right ways. You, you know what I mean? Like, there are certain things in life where it, it stretches you and you feel like you're challenged by it. But then there are other times where you really feel like it's, it's just, it's not stretching, it's just stress. You know, it's just a lot of like uh, painful moments, a lot of going, why am I doing this? You know, why am I facing this again? Um, and it was just perpetuated more and more. And I think for me, um, I also felt like I had already had hit the ceiling of my own growth. Yeah, okay, I could have potentially taken over the whole organization and be the leader. But it did not actually feel like a promotion. It felt like you're just going to be given more work. You know? you, you like So that's when I, I, I decided um, that, you know what, maybe I need to find something different. I need to go, you know, I need to change career paths and uh, hence, yeah, that's why I left and uh, here I am. <laughs> I 
I have a question. So, like, just now you said, like, sometimes when people, like, give you more work they will talk about, or, um, and you do it because for the God, like, did anyone come across to your career change or career pivot with, uh, uh, with, uh, lines whereby, or why you turn God's away and go into corporate world like that? Wow, this should kind of really ask the Very good. ask us all like the scaling questions, sharp questions, uh, <laughs> sharp questions. yeah, yeah. Obviously, I mean, there were some people that actually accused me because I want. They said that because I want more money, because they said that oh, uh, this guy he, you know, he wants to drive bigger car, he wants a bigger house. That's why you know he wants to go and uh, yeah, um, yeah. Of course, and there there were many. Uh, and yes, there are some people that have actually said things like, yeah, you betrayed God or you, you know, you abandoned your calling and everything like that. So I think that's why, uh, of course, I think for the most people out there, if you make, hopefully you, you don't go through that kind of dramatic challenges uh, or emotional burdens when you make a change. But I think that's where you, you need to be absolutely sure this is what you want to do. Uh, this is what you're absolutely sure that what you get, like, uh, this is the direction that you need to do. So I think that's why coming back to what I shared with you earlier, Andrea, like it wasn't just something that I, I made, I made decided on a whim, you know. I think uh, it's very important that we don't make, we don't make permanent decisions based on temporary feelings. You know what I mean? <laughs> we we need to actually go through a process, think about it, and once we um, we make that decision, we can be quite certain that it is not something that we're doing just because. There will be people around you, including people who love you and genuinely support you. They will ask you tough questions because they, because I think they care for you. I would like to think they care for you. But some of these questions, if you don't actually, if you don't actually have the conviction, they may seem like they are questioning you. You know, they, they are like doubting you. So that's where you need to be really, really sure that, no, this is what I genuinely want to do. And this is what I have decided to do. Yeah. Then how is your whole transition like my transition experiences yeah, yeah the process itself how do you convince yourself then try to tell the people love you generally support you but like have some concerns on that how do you convince yourself as in like how do you overcome some of the fear. doubts and fears doubts and and fear, and... like from uh yep. church shares move to corporate experience like mm. See, because you said like you have ten years of past uh, experience in pastor in a church, how do mm. you convince or make yourself believe that mm. you can do well in corporate job as well? Yep. I think I started with this point where I was so I, I turned thirty six this year. Okay, so uh, last year, um, when I by the time that I made a decision, I probably would have I was around like I was pushing thirty five. So I thought to myself, you know, I've been doing this for 10 years. What am I going to do with the next 10, 15 years of my life? And this is my own personal philosophy. It's not for everyone. But I think at the end of the day, I rather look back and say, at least I tried. Then look back and go, if only I tried. Or what if I tried? Um, I don't think I'll be able to live with those burning questions. So honestly... I mean, I'm, I'm not even a year out. Um, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know whether I will succeed. I don't know whether I will fail. Maybe I'll reach a point where I'll just have to go back to 
you know any church they go hey please uh, you hire me again uh, you know it's sorry I, I it's sorry like you know I can uh, no no nowhere else you know <laughs> yeah. want to take me I, I might actually reach that point but I think I would have been quite satisfied knowing that at least I gave it a go um, and that's one of like the values that I hold don't don't live your life based on somebody else's convictions or based on somebody else's dreams or based on don't live your in fact don't live your life out of fear don't let fear be like the the motiv- motivating factor or the um or the driving force you know um live by your principles uh, that's why I've, i feel your values that's what's really important i mean that's what we tell companies right you know because uh, we we are we are like uh, in consulting companies and everything we we tell companies hey you must know your brand identity you must know your values you must know your mission similarly we must know our own values and our own mission what is it that we want to achieve in this life and what is it that we believe in that will be our anchors um in every stage of our lives yeah well i really like that huh? at least you tried instead of if only you had tried right i think that's that's very important so maybe john tell us about what you do now what did you venture into then after church sure um when i first started i when i first came out i actually started working in a tech company f- uh, for about three months i was doing uh sales and um i genuinely tried to make that work so i i, I tried to you know I, I tried to immerse myself in it i read like a lot of sales i read a lot of sales books i read uh, uh i don't know whether you know this book chat holmes ultimate sales machine it's like very long time ago opening a book but it's barely one of the books you must read for sales people so I read it and I went, okay, I know already. I know how already. <laughs> I have know? all the theories. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and I thought, hey. practical. Yeah. You know, and I thought like, hey, tech, okay lah. You know, is uh, how how every company sure one, one tech one, right? No problem, right? And um, and the company, you know, it's my friend's company and he was telling me he was doing well. So I thought, hey, easy, no problem. But uh, when I got there, I quickly found that like uh, tech is really not my thing. Like it's, it's very uh yeah it's, it's a totally different kettle of fish altogether um so from there i i transited to the company i'm working now which is uh hr consulting so i, I think i realized at the core of my being people are still my interest um but not just people as in like oh you know like okay counseling i say i'm you that kind of thing but i'm really uh, i like um aligning people to certain goal strategy leadership processes so a lot of things that i'm doing now is really interesting you know not just from performance management to salary grading to um total rewards design it's, it's interesting to see how it all comes together to move people towards uh, a certain goal so yeah it took me about maybe four to five months um to discover that which on hindsight i think would have been better if i actually so when i Resigned, I was given like six months like garden leave. You're all kind of familiar with the term garden leave. It's basically you're just actually you're just Resigned you're just drawing free salary. Yeah, <laughs> you're just salary. drawing free salary, you know. So I was but I should have taken those six months to actually really go and looked at what was out there and uh what was yeah, what was my own passion and maybe talk to more people. But I took it for granted that I already had uh my friend told me, Okay, I'll hire you. So I went, okay, cool, that's it. And I just, I mean, it's such, it sounds like such a rookie mistake, you know, but that's what I did. I just waited. Then when I got into the company and I was immersed in it, I was like, oh, chef, actually, I don't like doing this. Um, but uh, but 
thank At God. Least you I mean, tried. yeah, yeah. Thankfully, I managed to pivot and find something and find another opportunity. So I have a question: How did you manage to convince your current boss to hire you for this HR consulting role without prior experience? Because your first job was because you know a friend who is into the business. Yeah. I guess that's the other good thing about being a pastor and in a big church, you know, where you um you 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 know people will know you. So I think uh my like my current like a uh, partner slash boss right now, he I mean he knows me back from back from the church and we already had some some like exchange and discussion before. Um so it was actually it was interesting because there was one day so we were both trying to sell to this one client. I was trying to sell IT stuff to this client, but at the same time, I knew this client has some HR needs. So I, I uh, told um, you know uh, my 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 boss, okay, hey, like uh, this guy has some has some uh, HR needs. So we actually were in a car together to draw, going to sell to this one client. But on the way back, we were just talking and we were like sharing, and then suddenly we decided. Hey, it both both of us kind of like aligned because he was looking for somebody to grow the business, expand, and I was looking for something different. So that's kind of like where I don't know the stars align, I guess. So wow, yeah, that's a perfect way to find a job. <laughs> <laughs> I help you with something, and I tell you about my experience, and you need to hire. I will be the right person. Yep, maybe. Yep. Since like you started this job for about like nine months, is it nine months? Right. Has it been nine? How long has it been? No, I I've been in I've been in this company since September, I think. So mid September, mid around that. It's, it's about know, six eight, months, seven to eight months, maybe. Yeah, they went to eight months. So yeah. since you've been to this company for about seven to eight months, like how is it different from the experience you have now compared to the experience you have when you're in a church? Um. Different on on many many levels. I think one one thing the the environment of this company now that I'm in is a smallish company. There's only like four of us. Um, even though we get to meet clients and everything, but definitely is very different from being in a big environment where there's a lot of interaction, a lot of people, not just with the staff but with like church members as well. But I think if you talk about it from a work aspect, uh, the biggest difference I find between nonprofit and commercial sector. Is that in the commercial sector there is a greater sense of urgency, or rather, you need to have a greater sense of urgency. I mean, let me put it, let me put it very bluntly uh, and plainly. In the non-profit and sometimes church sectors, actually, you can't get fired when most of the time, because if you're there, you're doing that job. That's it. You know, you're doing it for a good cause. You sacrifice, blah 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 blah. So a lot of people, if they're not self-motivated, they're not driven. They would just kind of like, you know, rest on their laurels and sit back and nothing would happen to them in all honesty. In fact, that was the biggest struggle that I had when we were managing some of the staff. It's like some staff were clearly underperforming. But what can you do? You can't, okay, you potong gaji, so how much can you potong? Um, and we didn't have like a rewards policy where it goes by performance. It was just kind of like, well, you're there, right? But now when I translate it in the commercial sector, it's like, hey, if you don't sell, your company's not going to earn money. You're not going to get paid. You know, um, if you don't sell, if you don't hit numbers, if you don't meet targets, your you know why why is the company hiring you? So I think that's the biggest. That was the biggest shift. Uh, and don't get me wrong, I've always been driven, but I think the fact that you have more on the line now that really is a game changer. 
where now um, I'm just like, uh, it's, it's a different form of pressure and one that I'm still getting used to, to be honest. So, yeah. When it comes to career pivot, uh, when people want to change their career, one of the concerns that they have is always about money, financial stability, right? Would I get a pay cut? Do I have to compromise myself uh, by getting a much lower pay? Or can I get a lateral pay? In your situation, how did you go? How did you manage this part of finances in that sense? I think in life, sometimes you get to negotiate the price, but other times you need to count the cost. And it's certainly what I had to do. So I had to uh, look at whether um, what my options were, look at how much uh, savings I, will, I, I, I could actually you know, tahan and put up, and discuss with my wife also, obviously. And um, oh yeah, it is definitely a reality. And I think for me, it's even more challenging because um, a lot of people deem my experience in church even though no matter how I market it or how I package it, they call it, you know, it's not relevant experience. So uh, the type of jobs that I could get was definitely not not a, not a whole lot, you know. Uh, but it, but they, I guess it then also comes back to your conviction. Do you know why you're doing this? Are you sure this is what you want to do? Then, of course, you need to get your family's cooperation buy-in, right? So um, it's kind of like, part and parcel of uh, change management, you know, you got to have the ABCs, you got to create awareness, first tell your, talk to your, 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 your loved ones, your family members, before they, you get them to buy in, then only you can have the commitment, the ABCs. And that's what I had to do, uh, you know, talk to them and uh, get their alignment. But uh, but yeah, when the, it is definitely a reality that you have to face. But it's again, how much do you, do you want it? Because, I know that I could have just remained comfortable just staying where I was. But I had already reached a point where I realized that no, I just, I can't I just can't keep doing this. And sometimes we think of uh what if I did this? But rarely do we ask what if I did not? Because really like you know part. that we look at history a lot of the people that actually did great things and amazing things, they all went out and they risk something, right? Uh, I'm a pastor, so I'll use an example from the Bible. Um, if you want to walk on water, you first have to step out of the boat, right? You have to do something and it is going to be risky. It is going to be unpredictable. But what lies beyond that, only time will tell or only God knows. But I feel like uh, sometimes you just need to have that little bit of courage to make that step. Just come out of the boat. Yeah. I have a question. Have you ever had moments, uh, you know, since you stepped out of church, have you ever had moments where you're like, I kind of wish I was back where I was or like, I don't know, what do you call it? Trigger points where like, so it, it could be two things. Like one, I, I wish I was back there or it could also be like a, oh my goodness, this is too similar. <laughs> you know, like that. Yeah. Have you ever ex had moments like that? I had moments where I I bemoaned the fact that wow I'm really struggling, but I never had moments where I thought like, I wanted to go back because <laughs> I think um, I already kind of like closed the door on that that uh, this is what I want to do, and I just have to find a way to make it work for the next. I mean I ju I just want to because it's only been like ten months 
right, since I came out. So I, I, I want to give it a good goal for at least, you know, two or three years, which goes back to, again, me counting the costs. I, I already, um, okay, not that I can afford to be without a job for two to three years, like, you know, but I can, I thought to myself, okay, if I gave it, you know, one, two years, then evaluate at the end of it, see how it goes. Um, but I want to give that, because I think when you make a change, when you do something, that's what you need to do. You need to give yourself that kind of runway and you need to actually realize that um, it's compounding because it's like everything where you want to get it started right in the beginning, it takes like, it's very difficult. It takes a long time. But what you don't realize later on, it compounds and then you have the momentum, sorry, and things will become a lot quicker and faster. It's like sales, you know, like when you first start out in sales, your network is so small. So you are making cold calling, you're making cold calls, you're knocking on doors, you're doing all like the crappy things that nobody likes to do. But later on, when you build a big enough network, where you build a big account, you just upsell, cross-sell, you know, you, you, you gain that already. Um, and there are times where I just had to kind of like speak to myself and remind myself, hey, these are the lessons that you've learned. Goodness, these were the sermons you've like freaking preached, you know, so like just apply your own like damn sermon. Sorry, forgive, forgive my language. Um, but but uh, but yeah, I, I think we just have to realize that like, that you just you just need to keep going, keep going, keep going, and don't lose heart. Yeah, yeah, I like that part. Like you know, keep going, keep being consistent, and eventually you will see bigger things towards the end. Um, I have another question. Uh, you remember you mentioned earlier that you get a lot of rejections. Uh, I'm pretty sure when recruiters or when people look at your CV, it's like, hey, you're a pastor. The person that I'm looking at, right? different from what you know what you have done or your experience or skills or that so how did you manage or overcome rejections you know i was actually thinking about this question um like uh, on the way here when i was in the car um but i was just i was thinking from, from this angle that there are a lot of times we would we will want people to give us a chance to help us um, but the reality is there are actually very few people in life who will genuinely want to help you. There are people who give you nice words. They give you encouragement, which is fine, which is important. But there are very few people who will actually put their neck on the line, uh, stick their, you know, their, their head out to actually give you a shot. And I was wondering why. And I realized this is because people just want to mitigate their risk. Let's put, it, let's put it this way. You know, you guys are all recruiters, right? So say even after this podcast, you go, man, that John guy, pretty decent guy. Uh, I think I can, there are some jobs that I would want to, I can maybe tell my client about. But you'll be thinking also, oh, I don't know whether this guy is suitable for this job or not because you're risking. Because if you recommended me to a company, no matter how much you genuinely like me, you're because if I don't, if I suck at that job and I blow the place up or whatever, the client's going to come back and go, what in the world? You know, who is this guy? Or even you trying to tell us, hey, this guy cannot. You know? yeah, yeah, I know he has a, he had a, he, I know he had like a unconventional background, but cannot, 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 you know? So um, when, you, when you understand from that, that a lot of times it's nothing personal. I think people just want to mitigate their risk because I put myself in the other person's shoes or so. If I really don't know who this guy is and a resume comes like that, then yeah. So I think that kind of like, uh, helps from one aspect, but on the other side of things, when somebody does give you a chance, you better be grateful. 
you better be appreciative because what that means, right, is they are actually risking a lot to get you in. That's why I'm, you know, I'm very grateful for, you know, my boss slash partner because he's giving me, he's taking a risk with me. Um, and I think that's kind of, kind of like how, like, I, I approach it. And I know this sounds very, like, negative, but um, there'll be a lot of people who will not help you or not be willing to help you. But trust me, the people who actually eventually will help you, they will make up for all of the people who are not willing to give you that opportunity or that time of day. You just have to, again, keep going forward, keep moving. Um, you really... It's like... Okay, this sounds super corny and super nerdy, right? But it's like, you know when you play those like comp like games? I don't know when you play like like um those open world games, RPG kind of games. You know, as you go along your journey, as you level up, you meet different like like characters, like get different side quests, yeah. but you don't know you won't, you won't get there until you actually get there. You don't really know what's ahead. So yeah. life is just like this giant, I don't know, hunt for side quests. <laughs> you know, where yes, where you, get, you just like you know, level up along the way and you really don't know what um, what lies around the corner. So that's why it's very important um, to not give up. One of the things that I always tell people before, so right now I'm applying to, I'm, I'm applying to myself things that I used to tell myself, I tell people is you don't get off the train when it's going through a tunnel. You, know, you just have to ride it out. You have to wait it out. And eventually you will reach the end of that tunnel, no matter how long or um, how dark that tunnel seems to be. So yeah. Yeah, I caught one thing. Like, always do what's just in front of you first. Instead of moving, you know, few steps forward. Like, yeah. Look at what is in front. Focus on what is right now. Yeah. I guess actually it's similar to what we are doing now, you know. Actually, a lot of people asking us like, oh, can you monetize your podcast? Like, how do you gain from your podcast? That kind of things. To be honest, really none. The Malaysia is still not in a stage whereby you can monetize your podcast at the moment. Like, if you ask me like why we are still doing this, just like we have a hope that we can gain something from it. But at the moment, it's still really dark. Like you said, it's still in a really long tunnel. I don't know what we can get out from there. But so far, we are still enjoying the journey. Then hopefully, we are able to get something out of it in the future mm, yeah. time. So I guess yeah. it's very similar Absolutely. to your whole job applying process, like job hunting process, like whereby yeah. you need to meet the person that can give you a chance to help you la, or to see your value in such mm. then it will really wipe up all the previous shit things before mm. Mm. Yeah. yep yeah. Okay. I have a question if nobody gave you a chance how do you go about creating that chance for yourself? I don't believe there's nobody who's willing to give you a chance um, if opportunity doesn't come knocking then just build a door you know you, you just have to uh, be smart about certain things also. Like, for example, in my CV, uh, I so, okay, I've, I have gotten calls. I have gone for interviews. People have, have, you know, been willing to see me and everything like that. So with my CV, I don't just put it as, well, I was a pastor, you know. I actually describe my experiences uh, and, my, and my achievements through a, through a, in a way that, other people can understand and identify with, you know, so like, um, like, and, and, and I can't think of an example now at the top of my head, but I think one thing that was very helpful was I would actually, uh, bounce my resume off different people. Um, especially if I, if I'm applying to a company, 
and I know a person there, I will ask, I will ask my, you know, the friend or the person, hey, can you take a look at my resume? Uh, and sometimes these little things, okay, people will help because the risk to them is not very large, because they are not a recruiting manager. Uh, and I think that helps, you know, um, structuring your experiences uh, that to make it as relevant as possible to the role that you are applying for uh, is definitely important. And yeah, keep keep looking for for um for for opportunities, whether it's on LinkedIn or it's online or I don't know, maybe just go for like, like events. Uh, just go, just turn up a network with people, and um, definitely one of the the one of the things that you have to be on this journey is you have to be very very humble. You have to be really, like really humble pie. I mean, for me. When I was at the height of my like career or whatever, like people would come to me, people were looking for me. Um, but when I stepped out of that, now nobody wants to pick up my call. I have to go look for people, you know. Uh, and it's also quite. Um, I think when you and I were talking about this, is a yuck feeling, you know. Sometimes you know, cause like when you're doing sales, or so you want to tap on like a your network and everything. Thank God I'm not selling insurance because like, I think that would be like, wow, super like, <laughs> low. that's like one of the worst, don't you think? Like, you, like your friend <laughs> that you have not heard from for a long time, say, hey, let's go yam cha. Then you go there, then suddenly they put like the, they put <laughs> the, the, the insurance brochure then and you go, oh, you didn't, you know, that kind of thing. There's the three uh, things, insurance, insurance, WeChat items and also Mway. That's what I'll be, oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, again, sorry to all those listening. I'm not, Please, if you're doing that, I commend you. You are you are doing something good. You're taking control of your destiny. That is commendable. But the point that I'm trying to get at is that you need to be humble and you also need to have a bit of like thick skin, you know. Uh because it is it is not it's not the most uh it is not the most um confidence inducing thing when you go Ask for asking people, hey, can you give me an opportunity? Hey, you know, I'm looking for this chance. Can you give me a shot? So, but you just have to get yourself out there. And um, it's one of the principles, you know, when I read in that, in that, um, in a book, The Ultimate Sales Machine by Chad Holmes, he was giving this illustration like how in school, we are often told that precision is equals uh, achievement. So like, for example, if you do an exam paper the one time, you get a 90%. Or you make as few mistakes as possible, you get a high grade. <clears throat> but in life, it's not like that, because if you if you make a hundred calls and you manage to get five sales, that's actually very good already. But in exam terms, it's bad. So it's like kind of like like there's a lot of unlearning in life also because school is is great, but a lot of the things that you learn from school actually doesn't really apply in real life. So yeah. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. So now that you've been in HR consulting for the past, is it 10 months? Like six months? Yep. For yeah, the past six months. Can you see yourself being in this role for the next one to two years? Um, yeah, I think I can. Um, I Originally, I was actually uh, really keen to go into um, line, the line function, you know, like... Um, more like maybe more like a HR manager or HR VP kind of thing because I, I really enjoy working with people uh, with uh, companies and everything like that so I, I'm more of like a I like being in a place and then building it up you know so I like so the I never really wanted to be a consultant in fact when I came out 
the two things that I said I will not be is a consultant and a trainer. But yet, these are the two things that are paying the bills right now. Uh, and these are the two things that I'm getting more opportunity in. So, okay, you know, I'll just go along uh, with it. And I think I'm slowly coming coming around to embracing that. Okay, yeah, 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 you know, I'll, I'll get into it and I'll keep at it and I'll I'll give it a, a good go. Uh, also, also from a practical reason, I don't, I don't want to keep too much keep changing too much, you know, because uh, that would not help with so if I were to try and apply, you guys are recruiters, you you, you would know this, right? Oh, it would not look good also if I kept changing uh, companies or even roles uh, for too, too often. So, yeah. yeah. From recruiters' point of view, they would think that this guy is not very sure what he wants. Yeah. Very jumpy, yeah. 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 They're a fat left leg. Yeah. <laughs> I had a question and then it slipped my mind. So, but, uh, wait up. I actually, I think I wanted to ask like, okay, for those people who don't actually know what a HR consultant does, you might maybe telling us about what you do as a HR consultant. Sure. Um, right now, the company that I'm in, the services we offer is uh, more of the, what I call the hard side of HR. So it's all like the, so the, the soft skill side, you know, all the leadership, performance, coaching, all like the, um, you know, having difficult conversations, all this, all, all this like like more soft skills training sort of things, even though I do do a little bit of that, but our company's main bit, bread and butter, uh, main expertise is the hard side of HR. So things like performance management, um, salary and grading, comps and bands design, and then we even do like organizational design, organizational structure, uh, even things that is not sexy and a very boring like employer handbook uh, aligning to all like the employment act and uh, all these different things so that's kind of like uh it's more the operational side of hr but again that is so important because you need the basic foundations before you want to go into the more strategic things so like a lot of clients they would talk like uh, oh i want to develop future talent i want succession planning i want this i want that but when we go in and we look at their processes, we find, hey, you, you, you know, like, salary job grading pun tada. How do you know you're going to like, what percent at what grade? Are you going to move them and everything like that? So we do all of those naked, nitty gritty things. Yeah. All right. What is exciting, enjoyable, or I guess I wouldn't use the word fulfilling, but kind of like, what do you enjoy la, about this job? Um, I enjoy, I enjoy. I guess helping companies uh, strategize and maybe even solving some of their complex problems because some of these things, it's actually quite difficult to tackle, like like their salary structure or their, or their all these different things. But once you actually implement some of these systems and they let it run for a while, and if they catch it, you would, they will start to, you know, you start to begin to see that, okay, uh, retention is improving, culture is improving, and um, they actually uh, staff are actually getting you know seeing uh, what we call line of sight. They realize okay, what I'm doing here contributes to the greater company, or they see a future in that company. I think that is kind of like the most fulfilling things. Uh, but it's a long journey because the thing about training and all the soft side things is it's very easy. To, it's easier to sell. Because I mean, it's, it sounds like hey, you know, come come in, let me give you a leadership talk, uh, one hour, you know, like you can do this or that. Then they'll go okay, sure, you know, um. But 
when it comes to a consulting project, there's a lot of like the sales cycle and the project cycle is longer. But those clients that actually are willing to go the distance, uh, you know, that they they eventually will see that, hey, you know, this is good. Or why didn't I do this earlier? Because HR, right, to a lot of companies is like at the back of the, the last thing on their mind. Uh, people see it as a cost center, right? But um, th- there's one way to see it. Yes, it is a cost center. But I mean, if you're going to look at a, a cost center, you're going to look at your people as liabilities all the time. And if you look at them as liabilities, you're going to treat them as such. And then you're wondering why are people unhappy? Why are people leaving the company? So it's, it's an investment. It's kind of like having kids. Like what's, what's the return on investment in having kids? Hard to say, right? You know, you can say maybe when they're old, when I'm old, they would, they would, you know, give me money. No, when you're old, they might just put you in the old folks home. You never know, right? But you don't have kids because you want a return on your investment. You have kids because well, you just want to invest in the next generation, right? You bring them up. And I think the same way when um, client, we, of course, when it comes to commercial world, the real world, we, we don't think of it in such fluffy terms. Lah. People still need to deliver. We still need to align people to our business goals and business strategy. But if we just have the little tweak in our mindset and perspective towards people, because a lot of companies also, they would say, okay, what's our assets, right? We've got this, we got a comp- we got this, stock options, we got this is like a facility, blah, blah, blah. Hey, but your people are also your asset because you can have all these nice things, facilities and whatever, but if you don't have people driving your organization, what's going to happen? You're not going to go anywhere. So, so I think that's what's fulfilling to me when I can convince people to even start having that approach. Don't look at your people as liabilities or cost center. Think of them as your greatest asset and how you will nurture and grow and invest in them. Yeah. Wow. You know what I realized? You have always been interested in people. Just like right now, it's yeah. in a different setting. First yeah. NGO, a different kind of goal. Right now, commercial, corporate, but it's still for people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which I think that, that kind of made the transition easier or clearer because I had a very, uh, I mean, if, uh, to be honest, before I actually came out, in, came out of non-profit, I always thought HR right, is just Leave and uh and and salary you know yeah I I didn't know there was like a whole world to it you know but only then I, I discovered that okay wow there's a, there's a big big area for this big industry built around this yeah I have one last questions um like you said actually we should hire pastor because they do a lot of things that uh, might be valuable to <laughs> people out there can you tell me like what kind of the valuable skills that you think is really transferable from your pastor experience to now where you are at a HR consultant um again okay I, I, I say that with a lot of disclaimer okay because um, <laughs> there are a lot of different type of pastors from different type of churches uh, so it really depends on the type of church they come from how it's structured and everything like that but if you talk about from a generic or general standpoint uh, project management you know there's some there's one thing that pastors do a lot uh, stakeholder management also you know because you get you to deal with a lot of people and everything like that um, even leadership I think a lot of pastors actually are generally quite good leaders because if you think about it you the main workforce workforce pastor works with are volunteers so when you how do you motivate volunteers to do stuff for employee very simple you you do 
if not you get fired or potong gaji right it's straightforward but you can't tell the volunteer you're fired well thanks I can go home early now yeah so I think um, they definitely they have some form of leadership skills and again a lot of pastors are very multi-faceted, multi-talented. So some of them, they edit their own videos, they do their own podcasts, they do all these different things. So they have all these like hidden skills and stuff that maybe they themselves never realize that is valuable uh, to the outside world. So yeah, they have that. So, I mean, some pastors also have genuinely strong business acumen because if you come from an organization that is not very, a church that is not very well-funded, but they have to come up with uh, fundraising, you know, come up with budgets on how to have, you know, Christmas events or events where people will come. Because for church, usually you don't charge for events. You put it on for free. But guess what? Somebody has to pay for it, right? So where do they get the money from? So some of them have generally good business argument. They can find ways to raise funds uh, or generate income or revenue from a different way. You know, so like, uh, yeah, it really depends on the individual. So... If you see a pastor apply for a job, give him a shot, you know, interview him, let him, um, just ask him, you know, talk, hear from his experience and uh, maybe he can contribute a thing or two. Yeah. You know, that reminds me of like how somebody explained the differences between working in MNC and SMEs. Your roles are different. <laughs> so being a pastor is like being in a smaller setup. You are tasked to do a lot of different things instead of just one pillar. Yeah, yeah, that's right. All right, uh, do you all have anything else you'd like to ask before we end this? Yes, I think more like a word of encouragement or advice to those out there who are either thinking of changing a career in the ways of uh, changing career or just step into this new career change. Like these three categories of people, right? What would you advise them or what would you encourage them? Um, I, I think I would I think I shared this with you before like uh, when we had lunch right but I guess the the general encouragement that I would give to everybody out there thinking of a career switch or making a career switch uh, it centers around three P's uh, one is be personal but don't take it personally that's my personal motto where in all your interactions whether it's a face to face or it's a, a whatsapp or it's an email be as personal as possible sound interested be invested but if it doesn't turn out the way you expected it to, don't take it personally. I know it sounds like very tricky because naturally if you are invested in something, there's some kind of emotional uh, attachment to it and you're definitely going to feel it. Yeah, you know, you, you feel it, so feel it, but then shake it off and, and move along. Uh, why be personal? Because I think you have to you have to show that you're invested. Uh, like, I mean, I'm in this, I'm here at this podcast if I came in, you know, my body language is one kind. I didn't look like I was enthusiastic. I, I wasn't passionate. You you wouldn't you wouldn't leave a good impression. So you really don't know who you're going to be in what room. So you want to be as personal as possible. Um, and that's one 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 thing I, I would say. The second thing is um, pace yourself. Uh, go develop some kind of sustainable rhythm. There are times where you will have to push, like. Uh, this applies to everything like sales even you know that's you to push 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 you know you you apply lots of jobs get out there but there are times where you just need to pause so so take a break forget about it go catch up with a friend spend time with loved ones uh tell them specifically don't ask me about my career change or don't ask me about my job i don't want to think about it you know 
Uh, there are times you need to push. There are times you should just pace, uh, pause rather. But if you can't afford to pause, then just pace yourself. Take it. Because I know we live in a real world. The world doesn't wait for us. So um, pace yourself. So there, there, are, there were times where I'll be making like 20 calls a week. But if I just feel like I'm not up to it that week, I would reduce it to maybe like 10 and just do a little bit of follow-ups. So uh, push, pause, or pace. And the last thing is comes down to persistence. You know, it's just saying that the water does not cut through the rock by its power, but by its sheer persistence. And there's just no way around it. You just have to keep going, keep pushing, uh, keep applying, keep making the calls. One day, you will hit the nail on its head. You will find your breakthrough. You will find that moment. Just don't, don't give up the importance of just not giving up and being persistent. So yeah, those are my three points and three encouragement. Wow, very powerful. Preaching like a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I did for 10 years, you know, so. I guess that's all about it from our sides. Uh, thank you, John, for joining us today. I think it's very inspiring from uh, hearing from you about your career change from a pastor and also trying to overcome all those doubts, self-doubts or doubts from other people and joining where you are and try to like see what how can you fit in in corporate yeah. world and so far I think you are happy in doing what you are at the moment and your words of encouragement I hope that it will really help a lot of people out there who are doubting in career change or career pivots or their decisions they haven't made or still in their consideration as well hopefully yep. this ep- kind of, uh, this episode will inspire those people who can take a leap and to see what's out there because there's nothing to lose if you have a backup plan and also you wouldn't know what will happen if you don't make the choice. I think that's what yeah. you told us in this episode as well. Uh, thank you, John, for joining us today. Before I end the call, uh, Recruiter Insight is available on Instagram, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts as well. We are also available on LinkedIn. Wendy and I are trying to do the 30 days LinkedIn post consistently at the moment hopefully by the time when we post we finish that and you can refer to what we write and let us know what how our initiatives goes uh thank you for your time today have a nice day bye-bye bye see you guys thank you bye